Good morning, good morning. How many of you have a, a shirt of your favorite college team? T-shirt, shirt, collar shirt, sweatshirt. All right. How many of you still wear it? All right, that's good. It's that time of year, isn't it? We love to wear the, uh, uh, the shirts of our favorite team. Kind of, it, it identifies ourselves with the team, and it demonstrates our allegiance to that team. Uh, you probably know that last year when Clemson won the national championship, Academy Sports opened late that Monday night, way late that Monday night, so that fans could come and get their championship t-shirt or hat or sweatshirt. And if you know the story, hundreds and hundreds of people lined up and, and flooded the store to get their national championship gear. I've got a national championship shirt right here, Tennessee National Champions, 1998. I'm going to at least try her best to throw this away, but I'm going to keep holding on to it until we can buy another one. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, did, did you know that Tennessee and the Tennessee Volunteers and a possum have something in common? Both play dead at home and they get killed on the road. Happened yesterday. I mean, it's just Florida. It happens all the time. It's just human nature. You know, when, when I first got this, I wore it very, very proudly. National champions, 1998. So, 98, 99, 2000, and, and beyond, I wore this shirt very, very proudly. Because it's just human nature. When, when, when there's a winner, we want to kind of identify ourselves with a winner. If it's our team... We want to make sure we identify with that team and demonstrate our allegiance. And so sports gear is just sold all the time for that very reason because we want to identify ourselves as a fan of XYZ school and we want to demonstrate our allegiance to them. So today I'm starting a sermon series called Raised to Life. And we're going to look at this whole concept of in this series of identifying ourselves with something and demonstrating our allegiance to something. Today, as we open the Bible, we're going to be looking at an event that made it in all four Gospels. Now, hear that again, because it's not true of a lot of things that you read in the Gospels, but in today's event, the thing we're going to look at today, it's an event that made it into all four Gospels. And what I mean by that, every Gospel author as they were writing the story of Jesus, they thought that this event was so inspiring and so important that they included this event as they wrote their story of Jesus. This event we're going to be looking at really kind of marked the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. It was in some ways His coming out party. It was his, the beginning of His ministry. It was His grand opening, if you will. So I want you to take your Bibles and open with me to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read about that event. Matthew chapter 3, the first book in the New Testament. By the way, we take those kind of things for granted where Matthew is, but some of you may not know where that is. Uh, just like I had a, a time, one time I was talking to a couple and I said, open, I gave them a Bible and I said, open to the book of Genesis. And they were all over the Bible trying to find the book of Genesis. Not everybody has been raised with the background that a lot of us were raised with. Not everybody's gone to church all their life like us. And so 
Uh, we've got a class starting next Sunday called Bible Basics. If you've ever wanted a class where you can kind of just learn the basics of the Bible, like where Matthew is, or, or why Matthew is in the New Testament, or what is a New Testament, what is an Old Testament. If you ever wanted a class where you can kind of talk about the things of faith and get questions answered about the Bible, we have a class starting next Sunday called Bible Basic. You can read about it in the bulletin and get more information. So our text today is Matthew chapter 13, the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 13. And I want Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. I need to go to Bible Basics class next week. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 is what I was trying to say. Now, let's read following along. Again, this was so important, so inspiring. Every gospel writer tells this story. Matthew says, verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? We would all feel that way. If, that, if we were in John's shoes, we would all say, wait a minute, wait, no, 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 I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus replied, verse 15, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, or John says, okay, get in. All right, so let's see what happens, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting or landing on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, before we kind of get into all of this, I just want you to notice, first of all, that every member of the Trinity is involved in this event. Every member of the Trinity is involved in the baptism of Jesus. First of all, of course, you have Jesus, the Son of God. He's the one being baptized. Then you have the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus and landing on him, anointing him for ministry. Then you have God the Father speaking from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Just file that away for later that at the first baptism, at the initial baptism, at, as Jesus began his ministry, every member of the Trinity was involved in his baptism. See, this was a holy moment. This was a special time. It was so holy that every part of the Trinity was involved in it as Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. And this was the starting point of his earthly ministry. This was the starting point of him, watch this, deliberately walking towards the cross to an eventual crucifixion. Don't forget that. From this day forward, from the moment of his baptism forward, if you read the gospel record, from that day, this was the starting point of Jesus deliberately, lovingly, daily walking towards the cross and the crucifixion. Now, we're going to fast forward and go to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be in Matthew all over Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 16. When we read in Matthew chapter 16, this is two and a half to three years after the Lord's uh, baptism. So f- remember that. 
two to two and a half, three years after his baptism, we find Jesus and his disciples in a beautiful area of northern Israel called Caesarea Philippi. Chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Messiah, we would say. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So this was in northern Israel. Caesarea Philippi was the setting. And Jesus took them there to say, listen, guys, I know we're kind of getting near the end of, of my earthly ministry here. So I need to ask you, do you know who I am? Do you understand who I am? Who am I to you? And Peter was the first one to speak up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, go down to verse 21. Notice how Mark says this. From that time on, that is, from the time where Peter and the disciples confessed Jesus as the Christ in Caesarea Philippi, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be what, church? And on the third day, be what? From that time on. This marks a turning point in Jesus' ministry. This was the beginning of a new emphasis in His ministry and in His teaching. From that time on, Jesus switched His focus. Instead of teaching to the crowds in parables, He now concentrated on preparing the disciples privately for what lay ahead, namely His crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. From that time on, he began to prepare them for what he was walking towards. That was Matthew chapter 16. And where did it occur? It occurred in Caesarea Philippi. Now, when you come to chapter 17, chapter 17, you go a little south of there into Galilee. Chapter 17, verse 22. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be what, church? Raised to life. And this time, we're told, and the disciples were filled with grief. So this is the second time that Jesus predicts his death. Privately to his disciples, it's the second time he told them what was going to happen. And this time, the Bible says they were filled with grief. The disciples couldn't figure out why Jesus was talking so much about death, but the message was starting to sink in. The Living Bible translates it this way, their hearts were filled with sorrow and dread. Once again, Jesus told them that he would be crucified and raised to life. But that last half didn't register with them. All they heard was that he was going to be killed. That's why it says that their hearts were filled with sorrow. Their hearts were filled with grief. That's what they were focusing on. Those words were echoing in their ears that he would be killed. And when they heard that, their hearts were filled with sorrow. Now, again, fast forward with me to chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 17. 
for a third time, Jesus predicts what's ahead to his disciples. And this time, he made an additional statement in this third prediction. Verse 17. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, remember, it started out in northern Israel, Caesarea Philippi. Then it came down south a little bit. Second prediction was in Galilee. Then you go way down south to Jerusalem. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the disciples aside and said to them, parentheses, for the third time, he said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be what? Raised to life. Here in this third prediction, he makes an additional statement in his prediction. In this third prediction, he lets everyone know that it will not be the Jews that kill him. The Jews will be the one who try him. The Jews will be the one who accuse him. But the Jews, the Bible says, will hand him over to the Gentiles. And it will be the Gentiles, or parentheses, the Romans, who will crucify him. You see, if the Jews had killed him, they would have killed him by stoning. That's the traditional method of punishment of the Jews. You would stone someone to death. Jesus said, but that's not what's going to happen. The Jews will betray me. The Jews will accuse me. The Jews will try me. And then the Jews will hand me over to the Gentiles, to the Romans. And I'll be crucified. And, and he said, and let me remind you, I'll be raised to life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, everybody look up here. The gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus has three parts. Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised to life. Remember those three parts. Would you say it with me? Say it together. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus was raised to life. Jesus died. Buried, he was raised to life. Now, we saw how he began his ministry. He began his ministry in baptism. Let's fast forward to the end of his ministry. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. setting the stage, trying to paint a broad picture here. So I hope you'll follow with me. Matthew 28, this is at the end of his ministry. After, watch this, after he has died on the cross, after he was buried, after he was resurrected, and before he went back to heaven, Jesus had one final thing to say to his disciples. Matthew records it for us in Matthew 28. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them, that is, after his death, burial, and resurrection. He came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Translation, I want you to take this gospel of my death, burial, and resurrection. I want you to share it with people all across the world. Go make disciples of all nations. And then notice what he says, baptizing them. Baptizing them how? Watch this. In the name of of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus begin his ministry? He began his ministry by being baptized. Who was present at his baptism? 
Jesus, of course, was. He's the, Jesus, the Son of God, was being baptized. The Holy Spirit came and landed on him, and the Heavenly Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Then, at the end of his ministry, as he's closing out his ministry, he says to the disciples, Now, I want you to go to the nations and tell them my story, and I want you to baptize them. And when you baptize them, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Because what, is about, what they are about to do is a holy moment. Because when you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they are identifying themselves with me. And they are declaring their allegiance to me. And so go share the gospel with all the nations. And when you share the gospel with all the nations, then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because, because we all need to declare our allegiance. We all need to decide who we're dedicated to. So he says baptism will be the way they wear that shirt. Now, I want you to flip over a few books and find the book of Acts. The book of Acts. While you're turning to the book of Acts, could I ask you a personal question? Have you ever publicly identified yourself with Jesus Christ through baptism? Do you know why it's important that we do that? Because baptism is our statement of faith. We're declaring His sacrifice is my salvation. I want you to say that with me. His sacrifice is my salvation. Say it a little louder, I can't hear you. His sacrifice is my salvation. And so when the, Jesus said, go, go take this gospel to the nations and baptize them, it's a way of declaring His sacrifice is my salvation. Baptism is a statement of faith. When you're baptized, you're saying, I have a new life because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Baptism is the initial step of obedience as a follower of Jesus Christ. Baptism is the initial and immediate step of allegiance, declaring your allegiance to Jesus Christ. So, we come to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is, is the story of Peter preaching the very first sermon not long after Jesus has ascended back to heaven. And so we read beginning in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, Romans, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Look at verse 24. Somebody get ready to say amen. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Aren't you glad that's true? It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Do you remember that three times Jesus said to the disciples, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to be raised to life. Here, Peter is declaring that same thing. It was impossible 
for death to hold him. So we don't have time to read the whole sermon, so let's skip down to verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message, those who put their faith in Christ, those who declared their allegiance to Jesus, were baptized. And it wasn't just a few. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. I want you to understand what was happening. When Peter preached the very first sermon, and he declared the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Peter preached the very first sermon, and those who accepted his message said, now what do we do? We believe what you're saying. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. We believe He is the Savior of the world. We are putting our faith in Christ. Now what do you do? And Peter was explaining to them the very first step of obedience is to declare your allegiance to Jesus. To publicly identify yourself with Jesus Christ. So on that same day where people said, we believe, we trust, we acknowledge Jesus, on that same day, 3,000 of them were saved and baptized. Because when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, it should not be a secret. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you should freely identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you should declare your allegiance to Jesus. That's why you're baptized. You're not baptized to become a Christian. You're baptized to demonstrate you are a Christian. You're not baptized in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You're baptized to show others you are a follower of Jesus Christ. I've used this illustration many times, but it's a lot like my wedding ring. I put this wedding ring on on May 21st, 1983, Redland Baptist Church, Durwood, Maryland. I said, I do to Lisa. Will you be my, my wife? She said, I do, I reckon. Now she really didn't. She said, I do. And when I said, I do to her, on May 21st, 1983, Redland Baptist Church, Durwood, Maryland, I identified myself with her as her husband. I declared my allegiance to her as her husband. And then I put this on to demonstrate my commitment to her. This does not make me married. I'm married because of an inner commitment I made to her on May 21st, 1983. And the declaration that I made in front of family and friends on May 21st, 1983. This does not make me married. This simply shows that I am married. It's my way of identifying myself with her. My way of demonstrating my allegiance to her. That's baptism. Baptism will not, cannot save you. There is nothing magical about those waters. Baptism is something that you do in order to show people you have trusted Christ as your Savior. Now, on October the 6th, we're going to have a Baptism Sunday. October 6th, we're going to give you an opportunity to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ and to demonstrate your allegiance to Jesus Christ.
I like the story of the young boy who got saved in, in Sunday school. He was real excited about it. His teacher was real excited. And she told him, hey, you need to go find the pastor and tell him you got saved this morning in Sunday school and you want to be baptized. So he excitedly ran to, this, to the sanctuary and he found the pastor. But he didn't know all the terminology. He, he, hadn't been, he wasn't that old. And, but, but he said, pastor, pastor, I got saved today and I need to be advertised. It's a pretty good idea. It's pretty good theology. Some of you need to be advertised. I mean, how would you feel about somebody who said, listen, I want to marry you. Let's just keep it a secret. Probably wouldn't feel too good about that, right? Neither does God. You become a follower of Jesus Christ. God says, listen, baptism won't save you, but you need to acknowledge to others that God has saved. So that's why he wants you to do that. You see, when you're baptized, you don't say a whole lot, but you demonstrate everything you believe about Jesus. You demonstrate what you believe about his death. You demonstrate what you believe about his burial. You demonstrate what you believe about his resurrection. Baptism is the initial test of a believing heart. It is no accident that when you look in the New Testament, that those who were saved were baptized quickly after their salvation. You know why? Because baptism is the initial test of a believing heart. Will you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ? Will you demonstrate your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you gladly and freely wear the shirt and say, I want the world to know I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? interesting when Jesus began his earthly ministry he was baptized holy moment father son holy spirit involved in that and then throughout his earthly ministry those three short years he kept saying to the disciples I'm going to be crucified I'm going to be buried and I'm going to be raised to life then at the end of his earthly ministry he said now I want you to go Share that good news. My death, my burial, my resurrection. And then I want you to baptize them because they need a way of showing people their faith. You can talk about your faith all day long. How do you demonstrate your faith? You can say that you're a follower of Jesus. How do you show your allegiance to Him? And the Bible says the way that you demonstrate your faith, the way that you show your allegiance to Jesus is through baptism. So on October the 6th, that Sunday morning, we hope in every service we're going to have people who are saying unashamedly, I, I am identifying myself as a follower of Jesus and I am demonstrating my allegiance to Him and I'm going to be baptized. Young people, old people, everyone in between, I hope you'll do that. I'll close with two questions. In fact, I want to ask you to bow your heads. I ask you these two questions. Two questions I want you to consider. As some of you perhaps are wrestling with whether or not you should be baptized or if you will be baptized. And we'll talk next week perhaps about some of those issues that may be holding you back. But here's two questions I want you to wrestle with. The first one is this. If baptism was important enough for Jesus to command, isn't it important enough for you to obey? 
Question number two. If baptism was important enough for Jesus to do, isn't it important enough for you to follow? So, Lord, I pray on October the 6th, there will be many who will unashamedly identify themselves as a follower of Jesus Christ through baptism, where they will unashamedly declare their allegiance to Jesus through baptism. Not for show, but I pray that they will do it to be a dedicated follower of Christ. And Lord, I pray now, as we prepare for this time of invitation, there are any who have not yet followed Jesus, not yet identified them, their lives with Him. I pray today would be the day that by faith they say, I believe. Putting my life, my faith, in the hands of Jesus. Now, with every head still bowed, every eye still closed, in this hymn of invitation, it's your opportunity to respond to Him. To respond to what the Lord is asking you to do. For some of you, it's putting your faith in Christ. For the first time in your life, declaring yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. For the first time in your life, putting your faith in His shed blood for your sin. I want to ask you to do that quickly as we begin to sing. For some of you, it may be that you need to come forward and say, Pastor, you know, I, I was saved months ago, years ago, but I've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. And we'll line that up if you'll just let us know, okay? Father, in the name above every name, may you get the glory. May you be honored by our obedience. Amen.